It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info. Scott and Colin with you three weeks in a row, Scott. Can you believe it? Three weeks in a row? Is this the first? It's It's been a while since we've done three weeks in a row. I think we used to be very, very consistent, and then your boy here is just Mr. Busy all the time. And it's like, oh, sorry, Scott, I have this. I have a dentist appointment. I have this. And Scott's back at home saying, come on, get your, you know what, together. One of us has a life. <laughs> and it's you, and it's not me. I wish. Uh, speaking of your life, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm yourself. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I have a day off today, so that's why it was perfect to record. And we have a lot of boxing to talk about. Let's just kick things off. We had a a huge card today. I know maybe there weren't a lot of big stars, but we saw a lot of up-and-comers, including a debut. Yeah, that was Kenji Fujita, who racked up, I believe, 153 amateur wins from 170 amateur bouts, a 10-time champion. And he really looked really, really good. Um, his opponent was Matoske Kimura, a a guy who you look at on boxing and you go, well, he's not very good, but no. Kimura's very talented, very tricky, very tough, and he gave Fujita a really good test over the first three or four rounds. But then Fujita sort of went through the gears, showed what he could do, and ended up forcing a stoppage with 22 seconds of the sixth rounder left. Fujita is one of those guys, again, who you know was an amateur standout, and it seems that there are just so many of these now in Japan. Where do you think, why do you think we have this influx of so much talent through the amateur ranks coming into the pro ranks? And a lot of it's probably down to the Olympics. I think for the last two years, maybe even three years, a lot of them have sort of dreamed of appearing at the Tokyo Games, but have missed the chance of now turned professional. I also think that with um, with some of the other things going on in Japanese boxing right now, and the way COVID basically froze Japanese boxing last year, I think you can see a lot of them at the debut or the next sort of six months or so. We saw um, Jukia Imura make his debut a few weeks ago. Fujita here. Subaru Murata has got one lined up. There is lots of amateur talent that turned professional last year and just couldn't get in the ring for whatever reason, be it COVID, be it the promoter not putting on his shows. I think you can see a hell of a lot of really, really good standout amateurs making their debuts this year. It was quite a shame not to have those Tokyo Olympics last year. You would have loved to see a lot of these guys get their shot. They've been working probably most of their lives to make it to the Olympics and then just for it to be canceled because of the pandemic. I guess the winner is professional boxing because you get all these standouts coming to the professional ranks another one who fought today kunta lee and lee you don't really expect to be a japanese guy but he is he is and he's a japanese korean he competed for north korea at some of the major amateur competitions he holds the record for the longest unbeaten amateur run in japan um he won 62 bouts in a row as an amateur he took on his first Japanese opponent today, Aso Ishiwaki. The Nobuhiro Ishida managed light welterweight, who famously got knocked out by Jin Sasaki last year. This was a fantastic test for Lee and Sport. Like, 
he got pushed the entire way, pushed for every one of the eight rounds. Um, Ishiwaki did what he's supposed to do. Ishiwaki made sure not to let Lee have an easy time. Somehow, um, Ishiwaki managed Pete when he seemed to have his stomach punch up his body. It was an absolute brutal body shot in round three. Really, really good test for Lee, and I think it's exactly what he needs after more than a year out of the ring. We had two amateur standouts, but the story of today's card wasn't these two guys. It was a, a bout that saw a lot of blood, a lot of violence between Tatsuya Takahashi and Ryotaro Kawabata. This was something special. The stars of two men kind of knew that they'd gel. This was about this meant to place in January before just vanishing off the schedule. I'm secretly hoping they knew it's too good to, to hide away in a non-televised card and make sure it got TV showing. From round two, they just put heads together and uh, just unload each other in one of the most brutal bouts of the year so far. Both guys got um, got cut and got inspections in round five and seven. Um, blood everywhere. Very vicious bout. One of those bouts that you need to watch this year. Um, it'll be going on to YouTube in the next hour or so. Um, so I'll probably be on YouTube by the time uh, this goes out live. So you could listen to our podcast, hear about it, then go to YouTube, watch it, experience it. Uh, it's funny how sometimes you look at a card and you see, okay, well, there are these prospects that I really want to see, but those guys kind of get trumped by a brilliant bout between two vets. Two vets who really don't have very um, very good-looking records, but if you've seen them, you know that there's not a cat in hell that's trying to attack Aki. Knowing about that isn't entertaining and isn't an absolute war. He's got a reputation for this shot against there. It's not always going to be the superstars that make the great fights. Sometimes you can get it out of two guys who, again, their records aren't great. You look at it and you're not really excited about Oh, you know, this guy's going to be the next big thing, but you're still going to get a great fight. Uh, yesterday at Karakan Hall, also another show, we were supposed to see Seiya Satsumi, and I'm sad, unfortunately, that bout was was canceled, because I love Satsumi, but we saw a couple of other youngsters pick up some victories. Yeah, that bout was canceled on Monday um, due to Tulio Kuwabata needing to be taken to hospital. Thankfully, he seems all right. It appears to be an issue with uh, dehydration and making weight. So, fingers crossed it won't be that long until we see Satsumi back in action. As for the card, uh, Takuya Kogawa versus Shunkasaka was brutal. Very entertaining, very exciting. With Kogawa, the veteran, picking up an eight-round win over Kasaka. Yoshi Slater, again, one of those guys whose record is just underwhelming. But his fight's always deliver, and it did again when he knocked out Takahira Araki in two rounds. They were both sort of bouts that you kind of expected the winner in. The um, the third bout on that card of note was a win for Yuishiro Kasuya against Mirao Naito, the brother of Ricky Naito. And this is much more competitive. This one genuinely could have gone either way. Fantastic, even matchup. And again, the records of both guys were underwhelming. But their performances, their styles just gelled fantastically well. Middle of the week boxing coming in clutch here from Japan. We saw it last week. 
and you usually don't expect it, at least over here in the States, but here in Japan, Wednesday, Thursday, just middle of the week boxing showing out. It is the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Now, Scott, we do have uh, a lot of news. Just May is going to be crazy. We'll get to all of those uh, fights that come in May, but I want to look at one more bout that happened, and this one was a little bit more of a novelty. It was in India, the first Indian pay-per-view fight, but it didn't end well. It wasn't just the first Indian pay-per-view fight. It was reportedly the first time sport has ever been on pay-per-view in India. And it ended in tears for Indian fight fans with Vajinder Singh being shocked, absolutely shocked by Atish Lopsan. Lopsan was dropped early in the bout, but then recovered. Dropped Singh, I think it was three times in round four. Stopped in round five. One of the biggest upsets of the year so far. And potentially uh, the life and death of Indian pay-per-view boxing. You don't think of India and you don't think of boxing together. You don't think of those two meshing well. But obviously they thought they had something here. And unfortunately just not not a pretty sight in the end. To be fair, I think they did have something with Singh. Um, but he's now 35. I don't think he was managed very well. He was with Frank Warren at one point. He was with Bob Arum at one point. Both guys have an eye for talent. They both surely saw what he could do as an amateur. But when the guy's 35, he hadn't been in the ring for well over a year. He didn't really, really badly run as a professional. It's no wonder that he picks up a weird upset loss like this. All right, now let's get to May, Scott, because May... It's going to be the month of Asian boxing because there's a lot of different fights that are coming our way. Let's start off with Ginjiro Shigeoka. We've talked about amateur standouts, and he's probably at the top of the list when it comes to really young fighters who are going to make noise at the world level. He's going to defend his WBO Asia Pacific title in May. He is. It's actually a, a weekend, uh, the 22nd and 23rd of May, where Dangan Promotions are putting on three shows over two days. He, as far as I'm aware, will headline the second show on the Sunday. There's two shows on Sunday, one on the Saturday, and he will headline against Toshiki Kawamitsu in the second defense of the WBA Edge Pacific Minimite title. Shigeoka hasn't fought since he knocked out Ray Loretta at the end of 2019. He was one of those fighters that just had to wait and wait through 2020. Lost a lot of his career momentum. His career's perhaps been on the backbone in the eyes of many. Whilst uh, Kawamatsu, a former... He was a novel amateur himself. He um, was a very, very good amateur. Very underrated. And last year, he came to fall with a fantastic win uh, on live TV. He's been in the form of his career. He's hungry. So whilst we're all going to say Shigeoka will be the favourite, Kawamatsu is himself a very decent challenger. And that's what you want to see against Shigeoka because you put some bum on the street. And again, I I don't want to call any of these guys bums because they get in there and fight for a living and you have to have a lot of courage and a lot of uh, tenacity to do that. But Shigeoka is something special. And in order to, I, I believe, reach that full potential that he has, 
you have to put him in there with the best. And it starts by challenging him right now. Uh, there's no marination period. There should be no, oh, we need to let him get to that point. I think he's ready for it all right now. Yeah, it's nice to see him up against another unbeaten fighter. Someone who's hungry and wants to put their own career forward. It doesn't really make much sense to put him against another Loretto type, a guy who's faded a bit, a little bit washed up. But no, he's in there with a 25-year-old who's hitting form, comes in on the back of a fantastic performance against Kenshin Oda last year, a brilliant performance against Kuske Ando earlier this year. Karl uh, Marx is dangerous. He's a very, very live underdog. We talked about this weekend, both of these fights. It's going to be May 22nd, May 23rd, Saturday, Sunday, uh, a big event. On the 22nd, we're going to see Masataka Taniguchi defend his Japanese minimum weight title. This will be the first defense for Taniguchi, who won the belt last year. I don't want to say he's failed to reach his potential, but he's, he's on the verge of not quite doing what was expected of him. He turned professional at the same sort of time as Hiroto Kaigushi. The two were sort of matched together. They were rising through ranks together. And Taniguchi had a few slip-ups. Um, but he seems to come into his own now. He seems to be developing. He recently beat Kai Ishizawa and Hizuki Sasa. He's got momentum. And here we're taking on Tatsuru Nakashima. Um, once beaten challenger, youngster. Uh, again, a live underdog. I don't think he's got much of a chance against Taniguchi, but Nakashima shouldn't be written off just because you've not heard of him. Because I think many perhaps are looking at this belt as. So just title bout after title bout on this weekend. Um, Taniguchi, Shigeoka, and probably one of my favorite prospects to watch because he's just so wild, he's so crazy. Jin Sasaki also on this weekend. This is the uh, Japanese youth light welterweight title. Let's see Jin Sasaki fight the Japanese youth lightweight champion Kaiki Yuba at 140 pounds. Um, both guys unbeaten. Sasaki, as you mentioned, wild, exciting, ferocious fighter. Uh, unbeaten record with 10 wins, 9 by knockout. Knocked out Aso Ishiwaki last year. Terrifying puncher. Kaiki Yuba, second generation fighter. His father was a five weight Japanese national champion. He was known as Mr. Corican Hall. Uh, and Kaiki's now living in his father's footsteps. This belt has all the ingredients to be something very special, very exciting. Um, a very hard one to call. Uh, Yuba's moving up in weight, but he's he's got more, more overall experience than, uh, than Sasaki. Man, May's going to be insane. I mean, look at all the different title fights, and, and all of them have these young prospects that I think eventually a couple of them could, could challenge for a world title. You'd definitely expect Shigeoka to do that. I think Taniguchi will fight for another world title. Potentially one or two others on there, but yeah, absolute start weekend of fights. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin. And Scott, I got so excited for May that I jumped a, a little ahead of April. And April's a little little lighter on the title fights, at least as of now. But another youngster, uh, Kai Ishizawa, will be back in the ring. Yeah, uh, Kai Ishizawa, a man who's actually beaten Tatsuya Nakajima and has lost to Matataka Taniguchi, will be defending his Japanese youth minimum weight title. Um, he's one of those guys that you just, you've just got to watch. He's all action, all excitement. 
Eamon and White who comes to destroy. He's not he's not happy with the decision win. He's never had a decision win. He didn't want to hear the final bell. And he'll be up there against Uni Takeda. Takeda's not likely to pose enough of a threat to Ishizawa to get the best from the youngster. But it's a good first defensive title. He's held for almost two years now. Ishizawa's been sitting on that belt because he's not any challenges. Takeda comes in, and I, I expect Takeda gets wiped out in five or six rounds. So April, May, especially May, I think, is when things are really going to get crazy. We've just had a little bit of lull here in the first couple of months, but things are really starting to kick up, at least uh, over in Asia, especially in Japan. Now, when we think about Japanese boxing, we don't think about heavyweights at all, honestly. I mean, the biggest guy we usually talk about, Ryota Murata, and... You know, he's kind of the heavyweight of Japan. But we do have a amateur star who is a heavyweight making his pro debut, Mitsuro Tajima. A Japanese-Brazilian who was a multi-time uh, champion at the amateurs. He uh, was supposed to make his debut last year against the Korean national champion, I believe. His debut kept getting pushed back and back. Another victim of COVID with um, fighters not being able to go into Japan. He had no option but to wait and wait and wait and wait. And because of that, uh, his team basically just decided that, you know what, let's stop the waiting. Let's put him in there with a Japanese heavyweight. We haven't got many of those. So he's facing the Japanese heavyweight champion, Ryu Ueda, in an eight-round non-title bout on June 27th. So that's exciting. What do you think is the ceiling for a heavyweight fighter from Japan? I know, you know, like you said, Brazilian, Japanese. Uh, but what do you think is the ceiling for Tajima? I think the ceiling for Tajima probably is Oriental title level, RPBA, WBA, uh, WBO, Pacific. I don't think we'll ever see a Japanese heavyweight world champion. But he's talented, he's exciting, he's Actually, a very talented fighter. Uh, anyone who finds how much footage him will, you know, back that up. He's very good. But he won't have the competition to develop against. Uh, he won't have the sort of training he needs to develop the best of his skills. A lot of the bigger guys from Japan have typically made their names on the road. And not sure whether he has the team that are able to take him on the road, even after Kov is gone, for the big fights, for the developmental contest for the training that he needs but yeah i think probably oriental levels as far as as he'll go but it'd be fun to watch his rise to the ranks um i think he'd probably be too good for Ueda, who is athletically impressive but very limited as a boxer never say never though scott on the japanese heavyweight you you just never know one day, maybe 20 years, 25, 50 years from now, there's going to be some kid who rises from Japan. His nickname is going to be Godzilla. He's going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. I believe it. The new monster. The heavy monster. The heavyweight monster of the world. Uh, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Scott, we've touched on a lot of exciting news. Now let's talk about some bittersweet news um this was 
a couple weeks ago, but Rea Konishi, the light flyweight uh, challenger, world champion challenger, he challenged against Felix Alvarado, also had a bunch of different titles, including the Japanese minimum weight title. He has retired. At the age of 27, he's hanging out following his 2020 loss to Katsunara Takeyama. Um, as you mentioned, he fought Felix Alvarado. He went the distance with Alvarado. He went the distance with Carlos Canazales. He lost the decision to Katsunara Takeyama. He has a win over Masataki Taniguchi. But yeah, his career's been a very hard one. His style wasn't ever going to last a long time. He got hit a lot. He got cut a lot. He threw a lot. He put a lot into his body. And to be honest, I think his styles break up with him. Thankfully, he intends to remain in the sport. He's uh, went to become a sports instructor. So he's, you know, you say, I put forward a title, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's a shame to see a guy retiring at the age of 27. Thankfully, he seems to have his health intact. Um, but yeah, it's a shame still. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Scott, anything that I missed? You've missed one really, really, really big story from Japan. Um, so this past week, the new coronavirus countermeasures liaison council set up by the Japan Boxing Commission and the Japanese Professional Boxing Association held their latest meeting. And they brought the news that we all wanted. Ring card girls will be allowed to attend Japanese fights and will be back in the ring from April. That's excellent news. Exactly. We couldn't ask for more than to have ring girls back. Uh, one of the highlights this year has been ring girls in South Korea. But to see them back in the ring, fantastic about time. It feels like to have that back, it's just a sense of normalcy, right? It's what we're used to. Um, before, they couldn't have them because of the virus. But now, it feels like a fight. Exactly, and they give us guys something to watch when there's a dull fight on. Oh, did I say that out loud? All right, Scott. You know, you have a significant other, Scott, and I hope she is listening to this. No, she doesn't. She ignores these. Um, at that same meeting, it's also confirmed that Japanese events were now allowed to finish at 9 p.m., which, again, it's another step towards normality. It's a step towards what we all know, um, and it does allow shows to be a little bit longer than they have been. But, again, a step in the right direction. All right, again, back to normalcy. We're getting closer, Scott. It's Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Remember to follow Scott on Twitter, at Asian Boxing. And then, of course, asianboxing.info, the website that has it all if you love Asian boxing. But until next time, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. And we will talk to you next week.